0: Welcome to the Executive Function Podcast, where we make the invisible keys to success easy for you to teach your child. We'll go beyond theory to proven action, helping you create peace and independence at home and at school with your host, educational author, award-winning teacher, and celebrated learning coach, Sarah Kesti. Hi, team. Today on the show, we have Deanna Singh, and she is an expert in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and she's a new friend of mine, and she's going to tell us some tips about how to talk about these super important topics with your kids. Hey, Deanna, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. And I'm super excited. So I'm just going to launch in. You are working in this incredibly important field. And I want to hear from you, like, how do you define the diversity, equity, and inclusion?
1: So I always try and tell people, and, you know, we have this saying, like, how would you describe this to a five-year-old, right? Like wh- what would that what would that look like? And I think that sometimes that gets us away from getting stuck in all the different words and all the, you know, all the things that can make it more complicated than it needs to be. And so I was talking to a five-year-old, right? Like I went right to the source and I was trying to explain to a five-year-old what I do. And the way that he got it the most was saying, What I do is talk about how we can be better humans, right really talking about what it means to create opportunities for everybody to do good and everybody to, to get to a place where they're able to be their best versions of themselves. versions he didn't like so much. but being human he definitely got. <laughs> and so when I think about diversity equity and inclusion, that's what I think about. I think about, wow, we all get the opportunity every single day to meet awesome people who are different than us and learn about them and grow and learn together. Like, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And what a great way to explain it as not like, you know, because I think sometimes the pushback comes from like, oh, but that's threatening to me. Like, I'm not a good person. Like, listen, you can have it both ways. That paradox of like, I am enough. I am great. And I'm working to be
1: better. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's partly one of the things that draws all of us together, right? There is this kind of innate desire to do a little bit better than I did yesterday, right? To kind of grow in in who I am. And I think understanding that and being able to tap into that is where... Our ability to really make transformation happens, right? Like we could do all these big things, big levels, big whatever. But at the minute you can get somebody excited about what they can do and where they can grow, like that's when I mean that's when I get excited. But that's like when you're like, yes, we're into we're we're onto something. We're, we've got somewhere we can go here.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that really aligns well with what we do on the show here too. Is you know honoring your kids, how they're showing up, what their needs might be. And finding ways to just stretch it just a little bit so that we're kind of closing some of those executive function gaps. So very similar, even though on the surface, I think you could think like, oh, these are different. I think it's all about, like you said, like being better humans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what my growth looks like can be different from your growth. Again, doesn't make it bad. or doesn't make it, it's just, different, right? Where, where my line is of what I feel comfortable with or where I'm trying to challenge myself should be in a different place than yours because we're different people. And that's awesome. Right. Right. Yeah. I,
0: my saying in my classroom for ages was different, isn't wrong. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it sounds so simple, but pretty profound when you think about it. Okay. So you've written a few children's books and we will link them in the show notes so people can check them out. And you share lots of tools with parents. I'm super excited, Deanna, to hear how you recommend parents empower their children to talk about kind of those similarities and differences of the people that they
1: meet. Yeah. I think one of the things is to actually welcome the conversation. You know, I don't know about you, but I certainly had the experience, and I've talked to hundreds of people about this too. We have this shared experience where we saw somebody who came from a different background, looked different, you know, spoke differently, we had different language, all kinds of different ways, right? And when we acknowledged it as children, we were told, right? We we were told, don't, don't, don't talk about that. And we were hushed as opposed to being like, Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you my favorite story about this because it happens to me on a very regular basis. Still as an adult, my father wears a turban. So when we go places and there are children around, right. A lot of times children will point like he has a a hat on his head or look at that turban or the, right. And we see right. Families who but then we also see families who are like, yeah, he does. That's awesome. What color is it? It's red. Yeah. And then they keep it moving, right? Or we engage in some kind of conversation. My dad loves when kids are now. not everybody's not going to love it and you don't have to and all that. But my dad likes to be like, yeah, this is my turban. It actually is like a crown. And I, I wear it so that anybody who might need some help knows that they could ask me for help. Like that's part of my culture and, and what wearing the turban actually means for me. And he loves engaging in those kinds of conversations, but we can never have them when children are told, shh, 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 shh right? Whereas with the other situations, we can kind of move forward. And so I think that that's one of the number one things that we can do when we're trying to empower our children is give them the opportunity and the space to, to share those conversations. I'll, I'll share, if you don't mind, one other story. Go for it. So I had a grandparent that came to me and was like, yeah, you know, the books that I've written are I'm a boy of color, I'm a girl of color, Cloth Crown, and then also a book with American Girl called The The Girl's Guide to Race and Inclusion. Those are the children's books that I've written around kind of diversity and inclusion topics. And this grandmother came to me and she's like, you know what? We were reading, and, and this is a, a white family, right? Her, her grandson is white. And she said, we were reading, I am a boy of color. And my grandson, maybe like, I think at the time he was like six or seven years old. She's like, opened the book and said, oh my gosh, this looks like my friend. I, I you know, and she was pointing, he's pointing at a little black boy. And he's like, I've never seen a picture of somebody who looked like my friend in a book before. And he has a different color of skin than I do. But I, but you know, but I have a white skin. And why is it that there are no books that have pictures that look like my best friend in it and only pictures that look like me in it? That is an amazing conversation to have with the child, right? But I could see how, and that grandparent did have the conversation. You're right. You know, actually, here are some of the numbers that I know. And how would that make you feel? And right, and got to have, but I can also see somebody, being like, no, 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 let's not talk about it. And then what does that do? It reinforces like, oh, this is something that's scary, or this is something we can't talk about, or, or we should be kind of, uh, you know, we should be quiet about the fact that we have differences as opposed to, let's celebrate it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what, what that means and how that might feel and, and why that's important. You know, that really
0: makes me think too, when you have those safe spaces for conversations, holy cow. That opens up a whole realm of possibilities for all kinds of different things. Where even when they're teenagers, now you've laid this groundwork of trust and openness, rather than you know, kind of hushing like you're saying and making it taboo almost, where your your right. brain sort of value tags it as oh that's something you don't talk about, and so you never get the chance
1: to grow. Yeah, and if you're afraid of something, then you avoid it, right? Or you fill in the gaps of your knowledge with information that's readily accessible. And we know that some of the information that's readily accessible about people who are different, right, or who are in marginalized communities is not great, right? There is a real PR issue as it relates to people who are coming from different communities and the way that they might be portrayed. So if you have this fear and then you're relying on information that may be contorted or not necessarily appropriately reflecting different groups, then you're filling that space with stuff that's not great either, right? And, and I think one of the things Sarah, that's always so fascinating to me is that people are like, well, I feel like if I talk about it, then it's just gonna make it worse. You know, like it's gonna, it's gonna bring up these feelings of, of whatever, whatever they might be afraid of. And my whole thing is, like, do you think they're not thinking about this or you think they're not having these conversations, right? Because they are. The research shows that children are making race-based decisions as early as three months old whoa, I know. And so you have to realize, right? Like in the absence of you talking about, it doesn't mean that they're not seeing it. It just means that they don't have a safe place, like to your point where they can have the conversation.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. And I think that extends to then to people with disabilities too. Right. Like when I worked with a student, I absolutely adored who happened to be blind and kids would come up to her and, and sometimes say what's wrong with you. And, you know, I helped them reframe like, Hmm. What's different about her is, you know, and we talk like that, but she was very open to talk about it. And that helped her bridge gaps where then there were kids helping her on the monkey bars and helping her play games that would not have been accessible without those like kids Sherpas. And right. that was available because people were willing to ask questions and maybe risk being a little bit uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. And, and here's the thing, like, you know, we think that if we sit on the sidelines and we don't engage with people that it's going to make it easier. It just makes it harder for everybody. Right. And of course there are different ways to engage with people and you have to do what is appropriate for them, not what is appropriate for you. And there's all kinds of things you have to take into consideration, But at the end of the day, like we have this desire to have some kind of connectivity. And the more barriers we put up, the more we create assumptions and and put up these like divides, the less likely we are going to be able to bridge to one another. And that's where the beauty of life, I think personally, that's my opinion. But that's where I think the beauty of life happens when we have these like collisions with one another, right? And, And we're able to learn and grow together. Like that to me is the most fun. Yeah,
0: you know, and then I agree. And then when we do some of that metacognitive work, when we think about our own thinking, you know, that's something that I do with students all the time and with my coaching clients is kind of like, does it have to mean that? Or is there another way to frame this? And this is just one more avenue to kind of take a balcony perspective on your own brain and think about your thinking. And then think about, does that end up kind of down the chain of like thoughts, feelings, actions, results? When does that end up with the results you want? And if not, let's go
1: backwards to your thinking and figure out a better thought. I love that like analogy of being on a balcony, right? Like, and being able to look at your brain from a balcony or the way you're thinking from a balcony, because just how many different choices would we make? if that was the perspective that we were applying and not just what we're feeling in the moment. That's awesome. Well, thank you roll with it. Cause I'm pretty sure I'm
0: not the smart person who thought of it initially, but I've (laughs) definitely internalized it. So Diana, many of our listeners are experiencing exclusion either physically or socially at school and oftentimes due to their neurodiversity, separate programs, social isolation, maybe even like being up in the office a lot for naughty behaviors. And listeners, I put that one in air quotes, you know, my brand, <laughs> what messages do you have Deanna for those who are listening and feeling kind of isolated or maybe even still left out of this diversity, equity, inclusion conversation?
1: Yeah, so I think that, first of all, I just would like to recognize that I see you. It is really challenging to feel like you're on the margin of the margin, right? Like to feel like there's a conversation that's happening that you know has, you have similarities in and then feel like you can't even participate in that one. And so that is certainly something that I think A lot more education needs to happen, even within the people who are diversity, equity, and inclusion experts, just in how we're engaging in conversations to make sure that we're being inclusive of people who come with all different kinds of backgrounds, right, including neurodiversity. So that is one thing that I would just say to the field, not necessarily, right, to, to individuals who may be experiencing it, but to your question for individuals who may be experiencing. One of the things that I try really hard to do is to think from a asset-based approach, like really thinking from an abundance-based approach. So a lot of times we can come into these conversations and think, ah, I don't have the power. I don't have the authority. I don't have the pedigree. Right. And just kind of make these list of things that we don't have as we're thinking about how we might be able to approach situations. But I would encourage people to kind of Make a different list, right? That list is not as helpful as making a list of all the things that you do have. And so if you're in a situation where you're feeling like this is happening, I think one of the things is thinking like, what are the skills that I have? What are the resources that I have? As a student inside of a building, you are actually the customer, the consumer, the client of that space. And so that gives you a certain level of authority as it relates to what is happening in the space and what isn't happening in the space. And I think too often we're waiting for somebody to give us permission to be like, go in and advocate for yourself. If you need that, I'm telling you now, go in, advocate for yourself. You have that authority and you should give yourself the permission to use it. Whatever that means for you. For some people, having a conversation is something that's completely like part of what they think is their skill set and where they have their strength. For other people, it's writing. For other people, it might be organizing a group of people who might be experiencing that same thing and advocating as a collective, right? Everybody has different skills that you can deploy as it comes to how you present. But I think if you start with, what do I have? right? I have these experiences. I have this information. I have access to amazing leaders in the field. Like Sarah, I have right. This podcast, I have whatever it might be. What do you have? And then how do you think about what you have and what you're trying to get to what your, what your end goal is? How can you connect that to what the end goal might be?
0: Oh, I love it. That's such an empowered place, right? Like acknowledge like, yes, this is my circumstance and you know what? It stinks. And I'm going to move forward with the gifts that I have and the abilities to connect where maybe I have some deficits and, you know, move forward because that's not only for me,
1: but that's for the others who are coming behind me. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's just a perspective that, again, there are things that I can do that you can't do, Sarah. And there are things that you can do that I can do. That's what makes us different, right? And it's part of what makes us awesome. And if we're focused on and put our attention on what are the things I can do? What are the things I want to do? What are the things that bring me joy? What are the things that I think can have the greatest impact and use my energy there? We only have like a certain amount of energy every day, right? Like, and as I get older, I feel like my energy level is waning, going down, right? But we have a certain bucket of energy that we kind of start that's in our our bank. Where are we going to expend that? Where where are we going to put that? What what are we going to invest our time and energy and resources into? Let's do it in things that we know, bring us that joy, bring us that satisfaction and bring us closer to what we're trying to achieve. Right, right.
0: And yeah, that's funny. I use the analogy of battery. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, like depending on the day, I'm like bank, battery, right? Like, oh, there's all kinds of different ways you can think about it. But essentially it's like, what is your vestibule of power? And I always tell people, everybody has power, that's not a question. Literally everybody has power. Everybody has a space in which they can provide some influence. So it's kind of a question of, do you have power? The question I always ask people is, are you using it? Are you using it? Right.
0: And what I'm hearing you describe is kind of what I encourage clients who really feel stuck at school to do. And that is to kind of like make two lists. I call it like the to-do list and the Elsa list, right? Like let it go. <laughs> and and that's okay. So you can kind yeah. of choose where you put your energy, and you know, sometimes the let it go is you have a grumpy grown up in your life that maybe doesn't understand your neurodiversity, and you just kind of get through the class. I'm thinking more in teacher space, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and at the same time, you put your energy towards maybe more neurodiversity awareness or things like that, so you're not necessarily spinning your wheels on one particular individual but you're mindfully choosing, okay, here, here's my strategy to, you know, navigate this space and you can choose how much you want to push against or how much you want to just kind of roll with it so that you protect yourself. But the power is in that choice, right?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that's huge. That's really important to remember.
0: Yeah, and it's I mean obviously I I think it's easy for us as adults to say that looking back as kids. So it's there's there's no shade on any kid that's kind of struggling with that, but you know just again that perspective work of thinking about you do get to choose how you show up and how you interact and what you do with the struggle moving forward. If that's, you know, tapping into your own resources or if that's just And also I should say using it to kind of pave the way for others, but you get to decide.
1: And I would just add that I think being a young person is actually an asset. Right. So even in reframing, like, you know, it's harder for children to do that. And I totally appreciate that. But even thinking about how, how is being a younger person, like an asset to me? Oh, that means, right. I have all these differences. I get to try this in elementary school. I get to try something different in middle. I get to try something different in high school. I'm going to have these different spaces where I can, I can do this or, 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 or try what I want to do or try something this year or try something with this teacher and not that teacher, right? Like whatever it might be like to even think about the things that, it is part of that reframing, but it's even to think about the things that, well, you're just a kid. Well, you're just, no, yeah, actually, I am just a kid. And that is awesome. <laughs>
0: right, right. That's and that's power. <laughs> yeah, that'll get you microphones that like you and I couldn't get as adults. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And teen brains are wired for that. They're wired to start thinking more globally and have the ability to not kind of have the, the experience baggage of being shot down so many times. So they're, they're unlocked in their thinking. Yeah. It's, it's a very juicy, very difficult, but wonderful space to be a
1: team. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So I am so excited because in just a few days on May 31st, your book called action, speak louder comes out And okay, first tell us a little bit about the book and then I have some executive function questions.
1: So the book is really a guidebook for organizations that are trying to create more inclusive spaces. So the idea here is that I haven't met anybody who's like I want to create an exclusionary environment. You know, most of the time it's like, no, I definitely want to create an inclusionary environment. I just don't know what that means. I don't, I don't know how to bring that to life. I don't know what I would change in my daily practices. I don't know how I would show up. And to the point that we've been making over and over again in this, in this talk, I don't know how to use my power. What, what does that even look like? And so this book is really meant to be something that you can pick up, read and put to action literally right away. Nice. Oh, that's exciting. How would you describe school leaders using it? So I'm super excited about being able to to put this in the hands of school leaders because there's so many different spaces where you get to guide and, and help kind of design what the experience is going to look like for everybody who enters that building for parents for your students, for your faculty and staff, right? For for everybody who literally community members who come in, and use your spaces. And so really the book, as you're walking through it, the first half of it is all about what I can do as an individual. It really is a, a lot around mindset. How do I get to that? What are some of the things that might be challenges? And the second half of the book goes at some of the bigger issues that we see within our institutions. So things like how should I be organizing my meetings? How might I be thinking about performance review or or moving? How might I be doing mentoring? Like, what does that look like with my student population or my staff or or my faculty? And so I think that I'm, you know, as being an educator and just also a a deep admirer of all educators, I would say I'm like a, like a fangirl, you know, like an educator fangirl. like. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's amazing. But I, I think that this is one of those things that allows for you to really embrace, not just the conversation, but also the behavior that can come after having these kinds of conversations.
0: I love it. I love it. I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to it too, you know, in my coaching practice now thinking about it, because again, you can have that paradox where like I know in my soul that I believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's part of what I want to kind of give out to the world. And I know that because my brain has kind of shortcuts (laughs) to like grab a whole bunch of information and encode it to make it make sense. Like I probably have some spaces where I, I definitely... Have some spaces where I can grow, where maybe I'm making assumptions, even just on the subconscious level that I want to work on too. So I'm super excited to read the book and recommend it to educators. And I'll tell you a little bit of story just to kind of contextualize it for, I would say 2022, definitely. But this this story happened in about 2018, 2019. I... Moved campuses. So I was teaching a couple of separate special ed classes at a middle school campus. And when I got there, they have these gorgeous science labs. And I was assigned to teach two science classes, two math classes, and let's just throw in a study skills. Why not? Right. That's a whole other issue of equity where special ed credentialing is very different from general ed. So I don't have to have a science credential to teach science. There's a yucky loophole for you, but I get there, they have these gorgeous science labs and I have just a classroom. So there's already a little bit of like, oh, well, where do my kids do the experiments? Well, I didn't actually have any of the stuff. And when I went to, you know, advocate for my kids, it was positioned as, I think I can find some leftovers for you. Or, I think that maybe, you know, we might have some things that we don't need so we can afford to give to you. And that was 2018. And so here are my kids telling me, like, we don't have a real science class because they didn't have the physical access. And another example is we had a stage on campus where it was like platform raised with stairs. We had students in wheelchairs. So if they, were to receive awards or want to participate in some of the rally stuff. Nope. Yeah. Had to do it on the ground. And those kind of spaces where I would, you know, kind of tie back to the book, challenge educational leaders, like to consider that this work is so important, not just for legal mandates, because obviously like that could be an ADA thing, but just in general of like these protections and this philosophy Benefits all of us and is for all of us. And in terms of the span of abilities, we're all, you know, just a traumatic brain injury away from needing access like that. So having it here available isn't just for the people who happen to utilize it right now, it's for everyone.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, you know, I try to really stress in the book is that when you're doing this work, a lot of the feeling of why people leave or don't feel included is because there's never a moment where they feel like, wow, somebody thought about me, right? And just imagine like going through your whole day and realizing, yeah, no, this room wasn't made for me. This classroom wasn't made for me. This learning environment wasn't, these materials weren't made with me in mind. You know, So all day long, you are just experiencing another example, another example, another example of why you weren't even thought about right? And how, what does that do to you as, as a human being? It makes you feel little. It makes you feel unimportant. It makes you feel invisible.
0: A hundred percent. And as the representative of that group, when I was teaching full-time, oh my goodness, it was just this added tax of, if you want it, you have to fight for it where others just, just hand it, just get it handed to them.
1: Yeah. And you have to fight for everything. And that's why one of the oh. things said earlier was, you know, you get to decide. There are some moments where it's like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight for it. And there are other moments where it's okay to be like, I'm not.
0: Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm tired.
1: You know, this is not where I'm going to put my energy or my effort. And I love that, like Elsa list, right? Of let it go. <laughs> but it's because it's so true. There has to be. You have to protect your own well being too in in this work and kind of understand where those spaces are. And that's why we need more people. Thinking about it so that it isn't just the tax on the people who are being marginalized. It's something that everybody is helping to understand and and everybody is helping to elevate. Right. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, if you think about it, like, sorry, I have a little bit of a soapbox here, but like, if you think about it, that's what's happening for people who are not marginalized. Right. So we're always like, you get the pushback of like, why that's creating, making it so special. And we're doing all these extra things for just this little group of people. And you're like, No, that is already the norm for everybody who is part of the whatever you consider the majority group in that situation. Everybody who's in the majority group did have somebody think about them. They were considered to give special allowances. That just already happened and we have normalized it. Right. What is just now is like, no, let's just broaden our definition of what you have already normalized. This is not a a new thing. This is an extension of what has already been done.
0: Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not extra. It's just reframing, just some perspective work and then changing policies, but not necessarily doing more, just changing them so that they are more inclusive. by the way, no, no need to apologize for the soapbox because I probably stand on one in my (laughs) podcast recording every single time. And I think that's all right. You know, I'm going to own it. That's okay.
1: Okay, I take back my apology. I stand on this soapbox with pride because it's true and and the more that we can help people understand that this is not a separation from what has been done or what no, this is just an extend like an extension. You you, you we we started down this pathway, right? We we built this auditorium. And we built the auditorium. I didn't ask you to build the auditorium. You built the auditorium. Now I'm just asking you to think about the auditorium being a place for everybody not just a small, like this other segment of group that you have already normalized as part of your thinking process. I'm saying do it for everybody who comes into this space and wants to enjoy it.
0: A hundred percent, yeah. And ultimately it makes the environment better for everyone. And in the context of teaching, you get a lot better engagement, which means fewer naughty behaviors when things are accessible. So it's it really truly is a win-win and it may take some hard work and that's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So before we wrap, I would love to kind of tie it back to executive function because I'm always so interested in how people's brains work. And you've written many books. So think about this last action, speak louder. Writing a book takes a whole bunch of executive function, like planning, time management, organization, can you tell
1: us just a few of your top strategies that you utilize to write action speak louder? So one of the things that I learned very early on in the writing process, I didn't set out to be a writer. So this is like one of those things where you're like, yeah, of course, Deanna, but I just didn't know it until I, until I knew it, until I learned it, was that the writing process actually is not a solo sport. It is not something, yeah. I think in my mind, I always had this like, you sit down and you know, you're you're pen to paper, or you're typing away on the keyboard and it's just you by yourself. And that's just not the way that it's been. Perhaps it is for others, but it's not been the way it's worked for me for any of the books that I've written. It very much has been a team sport in the sense that, you know, I would have an idea or I'm trying to get something across and I would talk to my students or I would talk to my business partners or other people on the team or other, you know, colleagues like, hey, this is what I'm trying to get to. And by talking, I mean, sometimes verbally talking to them and sometimes it's like, reading their articles and reading their things and trying to understand like how they put, you know, the concepts together and maybe where I could bridge some things. So I would just say that that's one thing that's a huge component of like the executive functioning is that you have to think about ways that you're being even inclusive in the way that you do it. So that was one thing that was awesome, right? Is just every person that I quoted in the book, if I could find them I wrote them a thank you note because I was just so grateful to be able to learn from other people, right? And bring that into a different way to kind of talk about some of these topics. So that's one thing. If I'm an executive function, like, and what was something that was helpful is just reminding myself, like, yep. I might have to, you know, do these edits. I might be the one who's up at one o'clock in the morning doing this. And that. But this is not a Deanna. this is not about Deanna. This is about what we can do as as a collective. I think the other component of it was actually in showing grace to myself, and that is something that I think for me was really important. And so I try to talk about that when it doesn't matter if it was writing a book or starting a company, doing whatever if you put fill in the blank of achievement or like goal that you, you want to when you're writing. It's a process. And being able to say, like, I'm going to sit down and write a thousand words. And then you get five and you're like, oh gosh, can't believe I just got five. Right. That's all. And I really needed a thousand or I needed whatever it was. But being able to say, like, no, again, this is something bigger than just you and your ego or you and your pen and paper or you and what your goal was for the day, you got to give yourself some grace to say today just wasn't the day, right? Or this isn't just working. And I'm going to keep being patient with myself and being kind to myself and surrounding myself with people who can also be encouraging and kind and patient and graceful with me so that when it was the right time to come back and and put and kind of, you know, put those final touches on it, I could do it. So those are two kind of big things I don't hear a lot of writers talking about, but I think are incredibly important in the process.
0: Yeah. And what you're describing makes sense. And a lot of the coaching clients I have that are in college Really, have that, you know, you've got to have the metacognition to watch your own thinking about your writing abilities because the minute that, like, that self critical voice gets louder than the creative voice, you're done, you know? And so, what you're describing makes a lot of sense, just honoring that writing's a process. And sometimes to go back to that connection piece that you were describing earlier, that oral rehearsal, that organizing your ideas out loud, talking to to someone, that's part of it. That's not cheating. That's not, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, well, I have to just sit down and kind of bear through it. But There are so many tools. We're actually going to start a college prep group pretty soon with parents and students. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Like, How can you utilize a whole bunch of other supports to make sure that writing is not just this solo sport that you endure, but you actually enjoy? So yeah, that's huge.
1: Yeah. And I would say even in the worst moments, I tried very hard to find the joy right? Like, and by worst moments, I mean, like you get the, whatever, fifty millionth of revision and you're like, I can't even, I'm so tired or I don't know how, you know, like, or whatever it might've, whatever it might've been that you're kind of enduring in those like hard, hard moments, or there's a story that, you know, the book is full of stories. And there were some stories that were just hard to retell and hard to kind of go back to. Right. So that even in those moments, that it was really important to me to continuously try and find the joy because I knew if I could find it, then people reading it would also be able to find it and 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 see it and feel it, and so that was just a a constant reminder.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because you're right. Again, it comes back to that perspective and choice. Like you could take this and be bogged down by it, you know, like. I have stories of exclusion for my students that are just gut-wrenching and I get to choose if I use that as fuel for my advocacy or if I use that as a reason to just shrivel. Right. Yeah. And some days there is a bit of shriveling. And then I unshriveling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am 100% with you.
0: <laughs> no, it's a balance, but okay, my friend. Well, listeners, the links for all of Deanna's work are in the show notes and her book, Action Speak Louder comes out May 31st. I'm so excited for you. This is going to be amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. This was really, really fun.
1: Thank you. It was a really great conversation. And I'm just so grateful for all the people who get a chance to learn from you, myself included. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to the Executive Function Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head over
1: to sarahcusty.com where you'll find more resources and chances to connect with others. And please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. We're eager
0: to transform the lives of even more families.